one thing I have really worked on is my boundaries because being sexually empowered doesn't mean that you have a score or you just hit on a list like, okay, today it's with this person. I'm not judging, but I'm saying that for me, sexual empowerment has a different meaning. And I think that should be a common meaning by saying that it is not linked to a number. You being sexually empowered has nothing to do with the number of partners you have. Besharam, Batameez. Chi chi, gandhi, chal hata, toba toba, oho, bad beti. I'm Sangeeta Pillai, and this is the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. This award winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos sex, sexuality, periods mental health, menopause, nipple hair, shame, and many more taboos. Join me around my virtual kitchen table as I talk with some inspiring women from around the world, exploring what it means to be a South Asian feminist today. On this episode, I speak with Pallavi Banwar, who works in India and is a globally renowned sex and intimacy coach. She has counseled thousands of people, helping them understand, navigate, and improve both their sex lives and intimate relationships. Pallavi has helped millions through her YouTube and other social media platforms, where she talks about everything from BDSM to bisexuality, from masturbation to sex toys. I loved chatting with Pallavi. She is so honest and open about her background her sexual experiences and relationships, as well as the joy of finding her own sexuality and her work. I used to be a very shy girl. Like, I used to be so intimidated by there is a boy standing next to me. Like, you know, there has to be like a mile distance, preferably. I was so, so scared. I had my own um, family trauma, which kind Mm. of led to a low self-esteem. So went through my own, uh, I would say, bucket of life's issues. I think the good thing was that I decided to turn my struggle into a cause or an inspiration, uh, my personal inspiration to do something and ensure that no one else goes through what I went, be it sexually objectified in a relationship, like, okay, you know, am I there just for my body or, you know, my, my identity matters? Am I just a body? So I used to go through all those uh, emotions and not knowing anything further. So I, I strongly believe in uh, like sometimes I come across because, you know, different people have different thought processes, but I feel that sexuality to me is very sacred. It is more than exchange of bodies. It is exchange of energies. It, there are emotions or at the very bare minimum, you know, there is safety involved or health involved, like a lot of things that get involved and we don't think of sexuality on those terms. Can we go back to something you just said about your own life kind of was a little bit difficult growing up? Are you happy to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. In fact, sometimes I feel I'm very blessed to see all these, you know, uh, like it's literally like a movie or maybe, a, you know, a novel where I, if I look back at my life, I mean, it's the perfect food for a novel. So mom had an affair and uh, uh, she had an affair because she was not really happy in the marriage. Because she was dependent on my father, she could never kind of, you know, walk out or she stayed in the marriage, but uh, the affair was not disclosed. Thereafter, uh, like my father got to know about it after 10 years. 
he is into palmistry so he was reading my mom's hand and she he just kind of made this up and said that you know i find that there is something that you're hiding from me from the lines of your hands <laughs> so oh my god so she was already under a lot of guilt yeah. and she thought that you know it's the time that uh, she should tell him because uh, uh, like now they are involving you know all gods and divi- divine <laughs> being into this so and then my father left her like uh, not legally because she never divorced him Mm. um but my father separated from her and uh, he went on to have his own affair which was a full blown affair of like 25 years wow and uh, as a child i grew up seeing all this because all of this happened when i was like 8 mm. and uh, i think one interesting thing that stood out for me is because there were so many relationships involved you know my mom had a relationship my father had a relationship i saw my father's relationship my fa- my mom's relationship was over by the time like you know i was it was it happened before i was born but my father's relationship started when i was like 7 8 after the marriage mm. was mm. you know broken uh, mm. and then uh, i used to accompany my father to his visits to mm. that you know woman because she was also a married woman and in the society you know a man cannot be seen so my father would take me along because that makes it more acceptable like there is a child also going you were like the decoy yeah I mean I now I understand why I would frequent uh, you know visit like why I I would be accompanying him always so I think all of that you know it I was not able to process it what is that but it had a lot of impact because I had no baseline of what a healthy relationship looks like it was all over like anything which was uh, volatile okay yeah. anything which is volatile which is volcanic which is intense which is chemistry i would associate everything that as a relationship and i ended up creating same relationships in my life through that you know energy it's basically the energy you that yeah. inner state of your body so now i realized why i would attract all those men or why i would get attracted to all those men well it was also my inner state of turbulence which was not really uh, you know human beings have this unique ability to adapt like yeah. we can adapt to so many things and we can also adapt to trauma we can adapt to toxicity so yeah. that's how i think the downward spiral of relationship failures after relationship failures like so many relationship failures and thankfully i kind of because i know so many people who are still into the throes like they still struggle they have no way out so i'm yeah. very glad that even after all this has happened i was able to i, I came out What are the some of these relationships you chose then do you think now looking back So I I I had low self esteem and I felt that relationships will give me that value Yeah I I feel lacking in myself like I yeah. like that value yeah. being in a relationship gives me that value gives me that yeah. completeness so for that like it would happen like uh, I was ready to fall in love with the first man who is going to give me attention Yeah that's how desperate I was Yeah even someone meeting me so one thing in my mind was that marriage is a way where i can escape this dysfunction home mm. like i had this you know girls get married and they get go to a different home so one was it was my escapade mm. i knew it very clearly that the only way i can escape this home is i get married to some other guy move into yeah. his home so that was number one and uh, secondly i longed for that family so i was very desperate and i uh, remember you know i would give those uh, kind of indirect cues to men also yeah to show my subtle interest yeah. and uh, knowing that there is a desperation and yeah. you know i went to any extent so i i never thought in my mind it was like i would never attract a guy yeah okay 
so with that and then someone would get attracted to me and i thought okay he is the first one he is the last one so i'll just go and grab that man like literally profess my love and mm-hmm. most of these men were abusive men in terms of there was a different different types of abuse like with one it was financial abuse with one it was like it was just about sex the, the relationship was he was only wanting sex from me there was nothing other you know in the relationship he would not disclose about our relationship to his mm. friends or uh, he would keep mm. it very discreet and it was only only about sex and i i was very very discontent with everything while i was into it but the only uh, what was what happened was because i had so less low self worth that i couldn't find it muster the courage to walk out of it and uh, got married in a patriarchal setup like again relationship did not work so i thought okay let's just get it legally signed so that the boy doesn't leave because all these men left me so i thought okay now the only way is to just go and straight away get married because then there will be a legal thing attached then he will not be able to walk away like i was so so scared of abandonment so i went ahead married the first guy who liked me like first guy who liked me i just got married i thought okay profession okay and then you know educated nothing else like no discussion of compatibility i just made up my mind that okay if the boy is earning well but then after the marriage i found that the family was very patriarchal i stayed in the marriage for 5 6 years because again i did not have courage i thought okay i i need this marriage for survival i can't survive it was only after he left country for 2 years on on a you know a different assignment out of the country that for those 2 years i was very obese like i was 80 kg now i am 66 i i just took on food to kind of deal with that you know emotional trauma so emotional comfort the moment he left like within 15 days i lost 10 kg without doing anything wow yes i i tell this story because and even i'm coming up with a workshop where i tell that a lot of body weight issues are because of mental health we don't talk about this we talk about body positivity but i'm saying that if you are under stress and you are gaining fat you need to get let go of that fat and that is what happened like i would now i understand that the moment my husband left i was so relieved i just lost 10 kgs like yeah. and that was my sign so but then yeah. again i went into other relationships which was like you know yeah. abusive like financially sexually this 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 same same thing it's like you know uh, repeat repeat on the repeat mode yeah, yeah. i my last abandonment was like the man left me that was when i i came like literally came to my knees like literally i felt that uh, one of my friends said that pallavi you are growing old i don't know if it is true but it just hit me so he said pallavi you are growing old right now you are in your 30s you are going to be in your 40s in two or three years but in your 40s you would not be able to deal with this It's up and down yeah. yeah yeah he said that you better be vigilant and do something about it because you know right now you still have the capacity and i could feel that i'm going somewhere uh, i'm losing my myself i'm losing my peace everything like i have a yeah. child so yeah. one of the concerns was me he can't see his mom crying and yeah. you know yeah. staying hungry all the yeah. time which yeah. i did yeah. Yeah. So then I went. I went to therapist. I always believed in therapist, but none of them were so like uh, quackery is so so prevalent in India. Glad I found a good therapist. Like he's a good therapist, yeah. and this is where I yeah. Yeah, and that's where your journey to becoming who you are today started. I think wasn't it? Mm-hmm. How many of us? seek to find ourselves in our romantic relationships 
to find a partner who will mend our broken bits. So many of us feel that when we find that perfect someone, we will then be whole again. And sometimes, even when those relationships don't work, we still stay. Because we fear not finding another person who will love us. Because we wonder who we would be without our partner. Because we're afraid of being alone. We tell ourselves maybe it's easier to just stay. What do we do then? I don't have the answers. But I guess a good start is reminding ourselves that we are complete. That we were whole right from the moment we were born. And that only when we have the courage to destroy the good enough do we get to what's truly good for us. To become the magical, glorious, powerful people we were meant to be. So, what led you to become a sex educator? And why why do you think that's important in the world? Because, you know, for me, my relationships, uh, my presence in my relationship was just, just limited to sex. Mm. With my husband, it was again a sexless marriage. So, there was no sex. And thereafter, very strong. So, I could see, I could see the both multiple aspects of sex. One, there was sexual objectification. Mm. Two, there was a sexual withholding because, you know, lack of, emotions or lack of affection three there was like a peak of sexuality where I also like you know really became very sexual I I went ahead and had an extramarital affair technically I was out of that marriage uh, where I I knew that I have I'm going to walk out of the marriage but still I had a relationship while I was married legally married like you know so you are mentally separated you're physically yeah. separate but legally you are married and you have an affair so you, you would still call that as an extramarital affair yeah. Yeah. And I had that and it was very, very sexually uh, intense. I, I really like that. So when we say that, okay, women in their uh, mid 30s or 30s, like we tend to associate sex with this, you know, 20s or honeymoon period. I think for me, my sexual experience really improved as I grew. And I felt like, wow, that's such a discovery. So, you know, all three aspects, I think sex was through and through, whether the absence mm-hmm. of it, whether the you know, objectification of it or whether the blossoming of it. I was really fascinated with this journey plus my parents' relationship, uh, which was, um, you know, I could see that intensity. So I knew the intensity that we hold, but how do we channelize it? How do we productively bring it out rather than, you know, kind of this uh, taboo, creating a taboo, like that taboo can lead to so many issues like these, you know, discrete affairs where you don't know, there is no guideline. We don't have any guidelines of what is healthy, what is unhealthy around sex. And I think taboo is an, is an interesting word, what you just said there. With women particularly in our culture, like Asian women, Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, it's such a taboo for us to own our own sexuality. You know, even now, even 2020, whether you live in India, whether you live in the UK, for a woman like you or I to come up and talk about orgasms or pleasure or our bodies, it's still so taboo. And... I think personally, and I'm sure you you think that, that sex is really, really important for us, for our kind of health and our well-being. What sort of things do your clients bring to you when they come to you, South Asian women? Yeah, there are many uh, issues. And uh, one thing I have seen increasingly is because traditionally sex is uh, thought of as a man's domain. Like, you know, a man is sexual and a woman is yeah. not sexual. But I've seen the opposite 
opposite in marriages where women crave for sex and in the marriages and men are people who are not interested in sex i mean uh, yesterday itself i had a session where uh, they have a love marriage of like 15 plus years and they have everything going good for them except for uh, you know that man is not interested in sex at all like three months once in three months and then she is not in the mood because she thinks that she doesn't want this she mm. wants like either you do it regularly yeah or you don't yeah yeah completely understand now the man said that you know pallavi i will be very honest with you i will tell you that i like her so much i because she is someone she is my high school sweetheart so we have literally grown together and i love her so much i admire her so much that i cannot imagine myself to be a devil with the dick yeah so that that is such a conflicted you know uh, Yes. Association of sexuality that sexuality is something that you can't do this to her because she's so yeah. and that's how we are brought up. I completely get that. So she's so pure, it she's the object of his affection and she's this kind of at, on a pedestal that he can't do that to her. That's what that's what I'm getting. Is that is that what what he meant? I mean he couldn't see himself as a person yeah. who is because love making typically they show it as a lot of grabbing, yeah. groping, yeah. Dancing, you know. Yeah. Yes, yes. He didn't want to do all of that you Some, know something so dirty with someone he loved yes and i think that right there i think epitomizes how in our culture we view sex it's like this dirty act it's like this aggressive thing it's something you do and it's an awful thing and we don't really think about it we're not taught really in our growing up years to think about sex as something that is part of our a healthy marriage that sex is something that's part of our health really for women you know like sexual health it's important and it affects so many parts of your life and do you find that this is normal that i mean i say normal but do you find that a lot more women are wanting sex whereas the male partners don't do you find that in your work yes a lot a lot i have been uh, getting queries from men also about their wives not interested but i think the queries from women either they uh, outnumber men or at least they would be equal definitely wow. no lesser We've been taught that female sexual desire is elusive, that men always want sex, and that women rarely do. This is entirely different from what women say to me in my workshops. The women I know enjoy sex. They seek exciting sexual adventures. They desire and want to be desired. The other myth we're sold is that as women grow older we're less interested in sex we're taught that all older women want is garden centers and pots of tea nothing wrong with either but you know what i mean and if you're an older south asian woman you're just supposed to mind the grandkids knit endless socks and watch those dreadful tv soaps When will we start to understand that women both young and old are interested in their bodies in their sex lives and their glorious orgasms What are the issues do people bring to you as as a sex coach what are the kind of things you come across the erectile dysfunction um, erectile difficulties of men Uh, which could be age related which could be i mean there it's it is so common 
you know erectile issues like premature ejaculation erectile dysfunction where you are not able to have a erection hold an erection for an intercourse and the way we have understood sexuality it is something like it's the unmissable you can't have sex without intercourse that's how and i've been i've been looking at work of a lot of therapists sex therapists where we they say that you know intercourse is okay not like you know it's not really the mandatory or the something indispensable like lesbians have sex so i totally agree but when i shoot out this idea i mean there's this another industry which is striving which is saying okay you have to get erection at any cost yeah. yes. i have had a woman uh, like they are a newly married couple yeah. and i can tell you that what i can really predict what is going to happen in their life 5 years down the line so they are a newly married couple and she said her husband is sitting beside her and she said that for me to get an orgasm i need a really good hard and thick erection like <laughs> I felt like, oh my God, poor guy, because you know he's under so much of pressure. Pressure, exactly. <laughs> like wow. good heart, like you know the good heart and erection. Like okay, I have to, and I think that's where most men are reading because they feel mm. they have to get this good heart erection. It is something which is not really under their control, and the more they think about it, the more it interferes with you know the erection. Yeah, yeah. The exploration is a, a relatively a very smaller chunk of you know Indian uh, audience as as of now because uh, again you know most people don't uh, it it is taking them time to warm up to uh, you know therapy. Hmm. Okay, like uh, we can see a sex coach or uh, we can take counseling, coaching, counseling, therapy are something which is very new in our culture. So unless something very life Uh, change like you know it is very life altering happens yeah yeah they don't come so yeah. sex exploration is something i do get queries where people yeah. have a good sex life yeah we are not at that stage where we are saying okay how we can uh, you know enhance or elevate mm. our experience by taking an expert help though i get queries like this i have mm. gotten queries where people are couples are having good sex life but they say okay what mm. more we can do mm. majority mm. of these are problem oriented statements where like you know Uh, sexless marriages either by choice like you know one person not interested or either by physicality where there could be vaginismus like the woman uh, her vagina is too tight she you know there is no intercourse can happen you know the very uh, weird thing what i found is most of these unconsummated marriages become when the family is pressurizing them to have kids wow. they have a two year sexless marriage yeah unconsummated marriage they could not have sex and now the family yeah. is pressurizing them. so that's the hypocrisy of indian society that we are covertly talking about okay when are, when are you guys having sex i mean you are... yeah 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 or we not even like concerned about whether they're having sex or not it's just where are the babies you know like that's the so if there are no babies then you're like okay then why are you not having sex rather than anybody being interested whether and they that's... are so ashamed like they say okay you know now we have to tell them that we are not even having sex like yes in yes, the family yeah it has to come to that Do you think in Indian society attitudes towards sex have changed at all in the last kind of 10 years maybe? Do you see yeah, it changing? Yeah, I mean uh, mm. not really at a broader scale because uh, uh, if you talk about you know our parents no there is no mm. change. So kids do mm. don't kind of go and say okay our parents we can talk about sex with mm. them. That is not happening. Yeah. Uh, but at the level of millennials and gen z I do see a change happening. Uh, mm. more in gen z and then now there is they call it as a alpha generation i guess mm. so 2000 born plus so i see them very much interested in content like i know i have a lot of young audience like mm. they are, they are youngsters but none of them can speak about it yeah 
Yeah. I remember on LinkedIn, uh, I, I also post a lot on LinkedIn, which is a professional network. And a lot of people said that, you know, we don't, although my posts are very scientifically driven, they say we can't like our post because LinkedIn, you will get to see. So your boss yeah. will get to see which post you have liked. So yes. they don't want anyone to yeah. know yeah. that. So basically what you're saying is that while there is a change in their own internal mindset, it still doesn't feel acceptable for them to be seen talking about or consuming that content. And I feel like, but you know, from from my point of view, I've left India now, what, 16 years, like none of the people that I knew were doing the content, say you're doing, or any of the sex educators like Giza Mangaldas or Seema or any of these people. That's new, I think. Anybody publicly going onto a public platform like YouTube or Instagram and talking about sex like you are, that's unusual. So I suppose there is a change and I suppose there is a slower change. And I'm guessing that change is different in cities and in ta- smaller towns, I suppose, less and less so. Do you find that at all? Yeah, I mean, metros are no different than smaller towns when it comes to public acceptance of sex. It's the same. Okay. Uh, okay. It can be happening in close circles. Like, you know, you may have a close, intimate gathering of friends in a yeah. drawing room and yeah. you may talk about it on a couch, but not on yeah. internet or not yeah. anywhere where you are to be seen. But you have seen as public. Absolutely. You know, talking about kind of our culture, you know, and the culture we come from, you talk a lot about kind of the mythology in our culture and old myths that are connected to sex. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that it's something you really like to talk about. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we are, uh, you know, a religious country. Like mm. I would say, broadly speaking, by and large, we are a religious country. Mm. And uh, I think that's where you actually talk about sexuality because... Uh, religion has a has really a um, relationship with sexuality you know if you see um, during um, so there is a festival which is durga puja it's a hindu festival where they uh, make these idols of you know um, mud these idols are kept out like while they are being mm. sculpted by the sculptures and these idols don't have vaginas mm. any idol of a god you look at them when you see them temples like you know a lot of times you will see the priest and mm. like kind of dressing them in the usual like you know cleaning up process you will see the, none of the gods have their genitals and that was a very wonderful finding i i kind of found that okay yeah they, you you make them as a human but you don't give that you know what makes him a male what makes him a female because that's where it is like okay creating this genital means the dog the is god is male or female it's a binary got it got it and again you know coming back to culture kama sutra you know there are so many texts like this right and again, you know, this perception that we have that somehow sex is not part of our culture. Like, I feel like that's a misconception because sex is very much part of our culture. It has been for millennia, right? It's just that we've lost it. We've lost that connection to it. Right? Yeah, you see, so many gods have, you know, uh, multiple wives. Like, even Shiva had more than one wife. Uh, uh, Kali was Shiva's wife. Uh, Parvati, Sat, you know, so even uh, Krishna. Krishna, you, you see the Ras Leela and the Radha, like... I should tell them that you are worshipping someone who is an unmarried couple. And then here you are creating so many issues for couples to live in together. Yeah. So you say live in. <laughs> yeah. And you are actually worshipping a god with not his wife. Yeah. So his yeah. wife yeah. was Rukmini. Yeah. Rukmini yeah. is not worshipped with Krishna, but Radha is worshipped with Krishna. So even though Krishna had a legal wife, so that's such an irony. Like, you know, when you question and people have no answers because it's like more like a blind faith. Many South Asian women will remember their parents turning off the TV every time there was a sex scene. 
that's how taboo sex was in our lives. We were taught that our culture expected us as women to be uninterested in sex, that sex in fact was for procreation only. This couldn't be further from the truth. We are the culture that created the Kama Sutra, a book from the 4th century BC talking about female pleasure, among many other things. We are the culture that gave the world the Tantra tradition, where sex can weave the physical with the spiritual. Our ancient mythology is full of stories of love and sex, our gods changing form from male to female without it being a big deal. We've even got a goddess called Rati, whose very name translates into sexual pleasure and desire. So the next time someone tells you that sex isn't part of South Asian culture, you'll know just what to say. You know, with the couples who come to you or people who come to you, have there been any stories that have stood out for you, like that's really helped you or inspired you? You know, it's like your work, how that's changed people. Yeah, I mean, uh, I also happened to get a testimonial from this uh, client of mine. And uh, she said, uh, so she was again, grew up with very iconoclastic values on sexuality, like, okay, it's dirty, it's shameful. Uh, Parents were very discreet about their own life. Uh, She has no idea of her parents' sex life. Like most kids, most clients, I ask them that, okay, what is about, so they're like, they're looking at me as like, I'm talking turkey. Like, you know, I say, yeah, you are living in the same house. I mean, if your parents have an intimate relationship, you have no idea. So see, that's so disconnect, like two adults staying in the home and we have no idea about, okay, they could have something like that. Uh, She also grew grew up with similar values of, uh, you know, shameful sexuality and her husband, uh, they had a sexless marriage on and off, like two years of sexless marriage and one, you know, off incident where she would just do it more like a duty. So that is also we see in the culture is like the duty sex. Yes. And her husband did not like it. In fact, one of my clients even said that, you know, I it feels like I'm raping my wife because mm-hmm. she just lies there still. Nothing. She says, yeah. so she, even though the consent is there because she thinks, okay, it's his need, but he doesn't like it. He wants her to be involved. So uh, she came to me and uh, we talked about movies. There are certain movies way back in 80s. Like I, I talk about... Uh, there is this movie called Parama by Aparna Sen. She's a Bengali filmmaker, very bold. And, you know, I'm so glad. Uh, so there is one movie of Aparna Sen. I don't remember the name of the movie, but I will tell you the scene. So the scene is she is having sex with her lover, Aparna Sen. So she's the actress also. And she's a director also. So she's having sex with her lover. The lover is outside marriage. And the child is basically playing there out in the garden. And she's on the top floor. So she, the child is like, you know, wanting she the child is calling her like ma ma you know the child is seven eight year old and she's having that orgasm she's like she's actually seeing here and there like what should i do but she continues to kind of enjoy that wonderful that's so good and they have shown this in like late 80s early 90s that's the movie like the actually it's a scene like where you know they are showing not nudity but the partner is thrusting like he's like moving so she and she's also one part of her is like listening to the child's, you know, um, yeah. call that, okay, he's ca- calling his mom. He's a very small child. Yeah. And then here she's enjoying and she just yeah. goes, she decides to be yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's wonderful, isn't it? And 
did that help the person who you were working with so i i shared some of these movies because they have seen the only imagery of sex is around porn so they don't know that okay human emotions uh, mom or uh, i think uh, so yes tell me pallavi how has this work so you obviously work with a lot of couples and a lot of people and you've helped i'm sure a lot of people in the, navigating their sexuality and sex life how has this work changed you okay uh, that's a good question so i think i also believe that the, the way you know we have been brought up what i've been seeing in the best of the best cases people have so much of uh, baggage about you know what they have grown up in their childhood because families are not really functional in the ideal sense you know you mm. I, i've seen people who have grown pampered and that also serves as a blockage because you know they are not able to accommodate because they have been pampered so much spoiled so much so for me personally uh, i'm still learning the ropes like one thing i have really worked on is my boundaries because to understand that sexuality doesn't mean that it doesn't mean recklessly being sexually empowered doesn't mean that you have a score or you just hit on a list like okay today it's with this person i'm not judging but i'm saying that for me sexual empowerment has a different meaning and i think that should be a common meaning by saying that it is not linked to a number you being sexually empowered has nothing to do with the number of partners you have because there was a time when i actually thought it's that like if i have the power i can have sex with anyone any time you know now i realize that it's also about value sexuality has so much into it pleasure values consent health you know so i think on that level i have really evolved intellectual like can sexuality be intellectualized it has always been physicalized like you yes. know so i think that intellectualization of sexuality is very very uh, i have really found myself so sexual even when i'm sitting in a mid of a concert just enjoying that music and it turned me on and there's this guy sitting next to me and that you know chemistry uh, that tension i would just enjoy and i would hold on to that like that holding on is so so powerful rather than just you know sometimes letting it go and do it so we don't understand those layers of sexuality like uh, it is not just you do it it's not a set of things it's a place to be absolutely and that's so beautifully said i think because i think what i find and i think you touched upon this at the beginning of our conversation that sex isn't something you just do in the body it's beyond that isn't it it's kind of to do with our spirit it's to do with our soul it's to do with i don't know you know a lot more than just a physical thing i think what's next for you pallavi so i am uh, finishing touches on my toxic relationship how to overcome and recover from a toxic relationship and i have got a very good uh, reception you know like everyone is saying like oh this is so common oh i i i would be interested like this is something which is so relatable so i'm working on this online course and uh, i have also launched a offline workshop on art of intimacy in delhi where uh, you know we are calling a group of people and we will be talking experiencing intimacy on different levels like sensuality there is no sexuality but sensuality spirituality uh, emotionality so on all those levels we are trying to create a you know experience around intimacy so just to kind of normalize uh, these topics in a very dignified and graceful way like that dignity grace and refinement is so needed for this subject sounds wonderful and i can't wait to to see and hear about all the amazing work i'm sure you're going to do it's been such a pleasure speaking to you pallavi thank you for being on masala podcast thank you sangeeta
I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, to hear inspiring South Asian women challenging patriarchy, a space to be exactly the people we want to be and still feel like we belong in our culture and our community, and ultimately, a space where we feel less alone. I'd love to hear from you, so do get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or go to my website, soulsutras.co.uk. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and presented by me, Sangeeta Pillai, produced by Anushka Tate, opening music by Sunny Robertson. Besharam, Batamiz, Gandhi, Hi Hi, Bad Betty. <laughs>